welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the We Have a Solution 12-step retreat here in, uh, in uh, Marysville. Um, my name is Bob, and I'm a recovered sexaholic. Uh, what I'd like to do before we get started, uh, we're going to cover step two this morning and, and work our way through the, out the day. This will be the core of the retreat uh, today. So, uh, But before we get started, I want to ask you guys for a moment of silence, and uh, uh, then we'll, we'll have a serenity prayer. Prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. Okay, thanks guys. Um, want to check in? Yeah, Kevin, sexaholic. Kevin. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I could all make it back this morning and got a couple, uh, a couple new... Yeah, one more coming in right now, I think, too. So, um, so yesterday we uh, we covered some foundational material and, and spent a long time on step one, um, kind of a late night. But um, uh, when we ended, um, we talked about a way to work step one and doing the writing, the powerlessness, unmanageability. How, how many had a chance to actually do that last night? No one. <laughs> we ran late, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Um, so what we're going to do today is, is uh, we're going to try to get through step two uh, in, in the next 45 minutes and give you a chance to write. Um, there, there's a step two exercise as well. Um, uh, but um, if, if you would, uh, try to do a little bit of uh, a step one uh, first, just write write a few um, examples of your powerlessness and unmanageability. Um, just kind of set the stage for uh, the, the um, step two work as well. So about powerless and unmanageability, we we spent a lot of time on the whole notion of powerlessness. We spent a lot of time on the on the discussion around man, unmanageability, and we looked at um, Bill W.'s personal story of of his own powerless and powerlessness over alcohol, and and. You know, before we go into step two, what I want to do is just ask all of you guys, if you look back on, on the history that, that you know you have personally had uh, around your struggles with lust, uh, can you identify with, with Bill's story and the powerlessness in your own life, in your own lust? Can you do that? Can, can, can you see where you've made a pretty good run at, at, at uh, being driven by lust rather than trying to, having any real chance of controlling it? Okay, so that's the big takeaway from from the step one thing is that you know it qualifies me for the program. It's the only step I do perfectly, 
the rest of them I work at the rest of my life, supposing I stay in the program. And uh, so step two doesn't matter if you can still control lust. If you're powerful enough to run this thing, that you don't need to worry about getting a power greater than yourself. Okay? And I want you to think about that because um, I thought that I could still take care of this thing even after I had come to recovery. And it took me a while to finally get sick enough of myself in my pitiful attempts at managing lust that never worked um, to where I finally was able to become willing and then actually able to take some guidance uh, about this program. So I just, just kind of want to level set that this morning and ask and have you guys think in terms of where you're at with step one because you, you, if your powerlessness in your life is if you are powerless over lust and your life has become unmanageable, then we got some we got some good news for you here in step two. So go ahead, Ken. Yeah, so um, we're uh, working mainly out of the big book and uh, chapter two on page seventeen is entitled "There Is a Solution." <coughs> Um, we read the first chapter or the first paragraph of this last night. Uh, we of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They have solved the drink problem. Well, how did they do that? How did they solve the drink problem? <clears throat> um, I'll just continue reading here because this is this is uh, this is pertinent. We are average Americans. All sections of this country and many of its occupations are represented, as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are people who normally would not mix. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like double E's. <laughs> I got a couple of them now that yeah. I kind of like, but. <laughs> But there exists among, among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. Uh-oh. So we're going to... Cement. Underline that word. Mark it down somewhere. Remember it. Um, we're going to come back to these... Um, some, of, some of these uh, words. <clears throat> but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So, you know, there's the other thing too is that they talk about cement and I jumped onto that because the thing I love about this, this whole portion of the big book is that, that Bill, uh, either on his own accord or with the help of someone else that was helping him tune these, these pages up and edit them, uh, was clearly a, a, a bricklayer because they start with a, they, they do a wonderful analogy of, 
of cement and, and laying in mortar and bricklaying and you'll see this 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 whole building thread going throughout this whole part of the text. I, I personally kind of think it's it's fun and, and besides the analogy just really works well. So that you'll see how that works out here in a little bit. Okay. Um, can we have a volunteer uh, read from the white book pages one and two? the newcomer, what works for us. Those of us who are recovering in Sexaholics Anonymous were driven here by many different forms of the same problem. Some of us fit society's stereotypes of what sexaholic might be, and some of us did not. Some of us were driven to buy or sell sex in the streets, others to have it anonymously in bars or public places. Some of us found ourselves in painful and destructive affairs or consumed by an unhealthy obsession with a particular person or a succession of persons. Many of us kept our obsessions to ourselves, resorting to compulsive masturbation, pictures, fetishes, voyeurism, or exhibitionism. Some of us victimized others, and with many of us, our compulsions took a toll on our family, co-workers, and friends. Very often we felt that we were the only ones who could not stop, that we were doing this, whether it was, against our will. Our will. When we came to SA, we found that in spite of our differences, we shared a common problem, the obsession of lust, usually combined with a compulsive demand for sex in some form. We identified with one another on the inside. Whatever the details of our problem, we were dying spiritually, dying of guilt, fear, and loneliness. As we came to see that we share a common problem, we also came to see that for us, there is a common solution, the 12 step of recovery. Practice in a fellowship and on a foundation of what we call sexual sobriety. Our definition of sobriety presents for us the basic and necessary condition for lasting freedom from the pain that brought us to SA. We have found that nothing else works. When we have tried to deny what our common experiences taught us, we have found that recovery still eludes us. And this seems to be true whether we are male or female, married or single, whether our acting out was the same, uh, with the same or opposite sex, whether our relationships were committed, meaningful, or one night stands or whether we just resorted to a little sex with self as a physical outlet. As the men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous learned over 50 years ago, half measures availed us nothing. We don't claim to understand all the ramifications of sexual sobriety. Some of us have come to believe that there is a deeper spiritual significance in sexual sobriety, while others simply report that without a firm and clear bottom line, our cunning, baffling, and powerful sexaholism takes over sooner or later. Nor do we claim that sobriety alone will lead to a lasting and joyous recovery. Like alcoholics, we can be dry without being sober in a deep, deeper sense. We don't even claim that sexual, sexual sobriety will make one feel better immediately. We, like other addicts, can go through withdrawal symptoms when we give up our drug. Nonetheless, 
in spite of the questions, struggles, and confusion that we have gone through, we find that sexual sobriety is truly the key to a happy and joyous freedom we could otherwise never know. That's why we keep coming back to SA. We have a solution. We don't claim that it's for everybody, but for us, it works. If you identify with us and think you may share our problem, we'd like to share our solution with you. Thanks, John. Awesome. Thank you, John. Um, so, uh, said here, some of us have come to believe that there is a deeper spiritual significance in sexual sobriety. And that's what we're exploring in step two is a spiritual solution. Um, uh, finding a power greater than ourselves. Um, yesterday we talked about um, spiritual experience. Um, the uh, psychic change, uh, change in attitude um, that, that Dr. Silkworth identified as being, and, and, and Dr. Jung identified as mm -hmm. being um, uh, essential um, to uh, recovery uh, from alcoholism, or in our case, sexualism, uh, sexaholism. Um, so what do we mean by spiritual experience? It says right here. Right where? It says right on page 569, if you're in the third edition, 567, if you have a fourth edition, it's uh, section 2 called the spiritual experience. So, <clears throat> I think what uh, what we'll do is was, uh, get somebody to read that. Who's got that up? You said 467? 569. Four. 569 or 67. Yeah. It's, it's appendix 2. All right. Hey, Scott. <clears throat> the terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, on careful reading, shows that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. It is true that our first printing gave, many, gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden spectacular upheaval. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. So it was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness involved at once by a vast change in the feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. Such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have had unsuspected inner resources that they presently identify with their own conception of power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a greater power than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. 
or more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to the application of Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott. So we saw a couple of um, uh, familiar phrases here in, in the second paragraph. Um, personality changes or religious experience. So this, this um, appendix is, is um, equating the two of those. Um, and again, we, we um, encountered this, this concept of um, recover, um, that we can recover and uh, as opposed to being perpetually in recovery. Um, <clears throat> so uh, keep that in mind. Um, and, and notice uh, the, the last sentence uh, is in italics again. What, is it, what does that mean? It's yeah, that, right? it's important. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essentials of recovery. Um, but these are indispensable. So Pretty, pretty strong words uh, for a group of people who've suffered from their own self-direction and a complete unwillingness to want to take the advice or direction of another person. So, um, yeah, this is important. And these are the those writing to each other uh, of what their what their dilemma is, and they all know how really difficult um, it is to move away from self-direction and start to take the direction of others. Because most of us have a hard time trusting anybody. Most of us uh, just really don't get into the notion that you know anyone's got anything to help us with because we've convinced ourselves if if you know I sure did that I'm you don't understand man I got this bad you know you don't understand you know I was the only one that was as bad as me and so I thought well until I came to the first meeting <laughs> it's like oh wait a minute. Oh, okay. There's other guys that get this too. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not the only one. You know, for the first time in my life, right? So yeah, it's it's it, we're a, we're a kind of personality that needs this message. So let's turn to uh, page 27, and we're gonna uh, finish the story of um, Roland and the uh, and and Dr. Yoon. Um, page 27 of the big book. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his, with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. 
He said to the doctor, Is there no exception? <coughs> yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religion, religious convictions were very good, in his case they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had that the extraordinary experience, which, as we have already told you, made him a free man. We, in our turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of the drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or, if you prefer, a design for living. Uh oh, there's that design that really works. Design for living. Um, And I refer to. Quite often you see uh, in in the big book uh, references to other literature that, that we don't we don't talk about. Um, there, it's not conference approved literature, but it's it's a clue to, to what um, what these folks were reading when when they um, when they wrote this book. Um, a number of them were reading um, varieties of religious experience by William James, um, and. Uh, this next paragraph talks a little bit about that. Um, in, in that book, it in, indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. That <clears throat> um, was referenced in Appendix 2, uh, the, the educational variety. We have, no desire or to, we have no desire to convince anyone there is only one way by which faith can be acquired. If, we have, if what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, It means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. so it, it doesn't matter what what your you know religious background is your your faith tradition um, this this solution works for for you too it works for everybody there's there is the, the simple fact is that there is some some higher power some some god or creator um, force of the universe if you will um, <clears throat> There, there is some higher power that, that you can find um, that can restore you to sanity. And, and the, the only requirement is that you be uh, willing and honest enough to try to find that power. You know, the, the thing for me has always been, 
<clears throat> up until recovery, you know, there was this seeming quest to understand or define this this God of our pursuit. You know, I was part of a faith tradition all my life, and, and that seemed like, at least that was my take on what was going on in that faith tradition. They were, there was all this educational variety stuff going on, like we're talking about, around who is God, what is God, this, that, and the other thing. Um, it wasn't until recovery that, that people came to me and said, just stop it with all that and just accept the fact and just accept the fact that God is there and just tune in. Just tune in. So, for me, the shift in my approach to a spiritual relationship with a God of my understanding was something that uh, it, just, it just came about as a result of, of listening to my sponsor. And listening to my sponsor say stuff like, you know, I need you to forget everything you know about God and start over. He's, and I, I said, I don't even know how, how to even begin to do that. He says, I'm not saying, you know, that we're going to do like they do and men in black and just blast the light in front of your eyes and then you're going to forget everything you know. That's not what I'm talking about. He says, what I want you to do is just set it aside for a minute and, and just go to God with no expectation. Go to God with no preconceived notion. Go to God without anything but a prayer and ask Him to meet your need. And don't sit around thinking you know what that is. I want you to just be an open book for a change. And just stop it with all the noise. And then just sit there quietly and wait for an answer. And it came to me like like surrender. I had no idea how to surrender. And after a meeting on Monday night, it seemed like all I'd been hearing about was this need to surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Three or four meetings with it. But I was sick of it. I, I was lost. I didn't know how to surrender. At least if I did know how to surrender, I had never done it. I just It was just really starting to bug me, which isn't a very far trip. But you're um, very easily annoyed back then. I'm easily annoyed now. <laughs> so anyway, I remember after the meeting, sitting in the church pew in the front, because we walked by that part of the building and it was open, and so I sat down and I just I said a simple prayer. I said, God, all I hear about is surrender. I don't, I don't think I'm doing it. The problem is, I've been praying to you all my life. I've been in fellowship with what I thought was a pursuit of you all my life. And I can't get this off my mind. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I'm absolutely done. I'm sick of this. I'm pissed. I can't get this thing going on. So I'm done. I'm just going to stop. I'm, 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 this, that's it. I'm done. And so, you're God... Everybody has taught me in my entire life that you created us. And so if, if you're such the creator, then if you made me, you know how to get to me. So I'm done. I'm just going to leave all this here, and I'm going to go get in the car tonight, and I'm leaving. And if you need me to know something that I don't know now, I'm just, I'll be waiting. And I got in the car. And that was Monday night, so Tuesday morning. I'm driving to work in my 91 Olds Trofeo. On 696 East, and as I crossed Woodward, bing, this idea just dropped into my head. Welcome to surrender. You just did it for the first time last night at church. <laughs> Waited a long time for this. See, surrender isn't something I do. Surrender is abandoning myself. It's abandonment of self. I finally abandoned myself. 
That boat was sinking and I needed to get off of it. Surrender to me is an invitation. It's not a command. It's something my sponsor wants me to do. But what it really ends up being is an invitation from God. It's an invitation from the God of my understanding that says to me, just give it here. I got this. I've been watching you run this for all this time and it, you know it's not even entertaining anymore. Just give us this. It's going to be okay. I got this. That's what a higher power is. Something spiritually and emotionally that's just got it for you. Just got your back. Absolutely. I don't care how big your problems are. I don't care what is happening in your life. You, my higher power for me has is significantly bigger, beyond anything I can understand, than any problem I'm ever going to have. Ever going to have. The low ones I've already got. That's the kind of higher power i got to have. And I've got it. And it's there. And, and so that's an invitation. It's not a directive. I don't do directives. And directives are something to rebel against, right? <laughs> if you got a problem with authority. So, you know, when we talk about higher power and we talk about step two, when you kind of finally get to a point like I did and you make that transition, that, that was what it looked like for me. Um, you know, if, if you're having a having a problem finding a, a, a higher power, we often um, suggest that that you um, treat the group as a higher power, at least as a start. It's a way. It's a great way to do it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Bill S has said that uh, as you attend meetings. And develop relationships. He came to believe that there might be a solution for his problem, and um, I, I, I can relate to that. Going to meetings was was all I knew how to do at first, and, and you know this this idea that um, that there was a there was a solution there somewhere, um, and there were at least a few people in those meetings that, yeah. that, that have found a solution. So. Um, he, yeah, he also says here too. This is a temporary. This was a temporary bridge for him from isolation and self-will to the spiritual solution. So he was using the meeting and the fellowship as a temporary bridge from his complete and utter, uh, you know, failure to manage his own life to a point where he could understand an even more important spiritual solution for himself, which would come later. But that bridge was the guys in the meeting, his sponsor, the people in fellowship. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're going to go to a if you're going to go to a meeting to get help, well, why not accept the help that's there? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that that's. That's an admission that that um, that's an admission to me that I'm I'm out of answers. There might be some answers here. So that's, yep, um, no good point. <clears throat> um, the the chapter we agnostics is is really the the basis of um, a lot of the step two uh, work in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter. It's it's it's. Um, it's not that long, but but we don't have time to read the whole thing. I, I'm going to cherry pick some some things though. 
what I would encourage you to do is, is read the entire chapter. Well, I, I'd encourage you to read the entire book, but um, regarding step two, read this entire chapter. Um, part 44. Uh, page 44. We agnostics. Um, yeah, uh, and as, as you read through it, there, there are a ton of questions. Um, and uh, I encourage you to read, read the chapter carefully, underline things that, that, uh, that mean something to you or that you have questions about, talk to your sponsor about it. Um, there are a number of questions. <coughs> Many of these questions are, as, as Bill says, not rhetorical. <laughs> In other words, answer the questions. Um, you might want to even write them down on paper. Um, page 45, uh, the first full paragraph says, Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Is that a tail size? It is. <laughs> Obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. This book is about, we, we've read that this book is about the solution. It shows, it's intended to show exactly how the first alcoholics recovered. And the book is about finding a higher power. That, that is, that's the synopsis of the, of the program right there. You know, find God or die. Yep. And it goes on to say, that means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. Which is about as close as Bill W. gets to saying, just get over it. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. cute. I think it's, a, it's an awesome yeah. little insert here. Go ahead, Kevin. Um, on the next page, page 46, in the middle... Yes, we have agnostic temperament. By the way, what, what is agnostic? Agnostic simply means lacking or being without knowledge. Gnostic is, is um, the Greek root for, for knowledge. And when, whenever you put an A, gnostic with a silent G on the front, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> um, kind of like gnome. Right? right, right. Yeah, that one, right? Yeah, right in there, that same um, and whenever you put an A on the front of something like that, it means the opposites or without. So um, uh, agnostic means without knowledge. We of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you. We find that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. This is good news. I don't have to understand. I don't have to fully understand this power. All I have to do is be willing to believe that there might be a, a power greater than myself. And I'm willing to believe. Some notes I've put in the margin here is that uh, this is doable. Um, and the other one is uh, understanding God is not required. Probably not going to anyway ever. So that was good news too. And it's our own conception, not our old conception. Mm. So here we are. Now this is not so hard after all, maybe. What, the, what do they have next? 
Uh, a little bit further down in the middle of the last pro paragraph, as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard turns with those who seek him. So, hmm. provided we take a few simple steps, and, and we're told here that, that it's not going to be not going to be that hard. Um, over on page 47, a, a few sentences in, at the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood Him. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. Very important. And the next paragraph, um, I think I think we uh, end with this one. There might be a little bit more. Um, we needed to ask ourselves, but one short question. Here's a question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe, or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone... Uh-oh. We're building houses again. Whenever Bob says, uh-oh, that means there's... <laughs> Something we want to point out. <laughs> uh, the simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure, can be built. Yeah, yeah there's the bricklayers chiming in again. Yeah. <clears throat> so the question, do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there's a power greater than myself? You know, this, this willingness, this concept of willingness is really, really important. Um, because it, 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 it says to me, I don't, I don't have to have all the answers to, to get recovery going. I don't even have to believe. I just have to be willing. I have to be open enough to, to accept some, some simple concepts. Um... You know, that, and it, that's true. This whole program—you don't have to understand how it works. Good thing. You don't—you don't even have to believe that it works. Not required. <laughs> just do the—just do the simple work, and you'll get the results. Exactly. The thing I found was that when I finally kind of went into that—that that mode, and it took a while because I questioned everything. You know, I want to know how everything works. Uh, it's part of, you know, where I came from. It's, it's, you know, I fix stuff. That's what I do. I got to know how it works, in order to know when it's broke or how it's broke or what to do when it's broke. And so I can fire a hundred thousand questions at you about what, for, how come, this, that, and forty-seven other ways of doing this. Why did they do that? And I, I end up in recovery. I end up wasting a lot of time. 
certainly wasting a lot of my own time. If I bring that method of operation to this this thing we call uh, recovery, because what they're simply asking me to do is to sit quietly and just go with this. So it's just too much for me sometimes to shut that off. And so for what I've had to do is I've had to just say, all right, and I talked about it last night when I finally started taking sponsorship. You know, it was this discussion I was having with myself. Okay, we're going to do exactly what he says, so that way when it doesn't work, I get to blame him. And <laughs> and by God, it, it, you know, it just didn't work out like that. And so that got my attention. And, and it's, a, it's, it's abject grandiosity is what it ends up being in me because I'm so grandiose as to think that I could instruct God or anyone else on how anything should work. And it's just complete and utter bullshit uh, that, I'm, that I'm rolling. And I need to just pull that down to a halt, sit quietly and do what I'm asked to do the way I'm asked to do it. And let this thing begin. And when I started to finally do that, what I realized is that it didn't matter to me if it worked for anybody else because it was actually starting to work for me. And some of the stuff they were talking about in the book that you're going to get if you do certain things and that's outlined here started to actually happen in my life. And I got quiet. And it became less and less important for me to have to know all the details and what, for, how, come, and why. Stop. started to just get to a point where it just, it didn't, it just didn't, seem to be the pursuit of the day anymore. So that's what this is talking about at this point. So anyway, I just wanted to offer that in there. I don't want to take up too much time though. We got some more work to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the rest of this chapter is uh, is um, talks about some um, some light proofs, I guess, or evidence of the existence of a God. Um, and again, I encourage you to read that. Um, on page 52 in the middle, though, there's there's, a, there's an interesting paragraph. Um, about uh, openness and willingness. Um, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. Oh, I'm a stubborn SOB, you know. Um, set in my ways and I have certain beliefs and I'm, I'm, that's just, you know, when I'm right, I'm right and you're not going to change my mind. Um, and it makes life miserable. Mm -hmm. um, so why, why shouldn't we apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view? We were having trouble with personal relationships. Oh, yeah. We couldn't control our emotional natures. Yep. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. Oh yeah. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. Um, Bill calls this paragraph the bedevilments. These are the, the, the things that, that bedevil us or that, that, that nag us. 
Um, they certainly nagged me um, almost every one of these, these things. Trouble with personal relationships, check. Uh, can't control my emotions, check. Prey to misery and depression, check, check. <laughs> um, couldn't make a living while well, I, was, I was doing okay there, but um, certainly um, not as good a living as I probably could have uh, made. Um, feeling of uselessness all the time, full of fear, completely unhappy. Um, so was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of Lunar Flight. They were just previously we were talking about some some scientific um, um, evidence and, and er, accomplishments um, and basically the the question is here isn't isn't a solution to these problems more important than, than knowledge and he goes on to talk about that when he says when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe we had to stop doubting the power of God our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. So what he's pointing out is that was the getting off point for him. It's time to stop running my own show. And finally, in the middle of page 53, uh, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck out on the issue. So that's step two. And if you look at the actions we take on step two, um, I was actually going to talk a little bit about Ebby here, but I think we can do that uh, in a little bit. I, yeah. I want to do that later. Um, there are many other questions proposed in this chapter, and, and, and Bill's comments here have been, uh, when I go through this chapter with my sponsees, I encourage the sponsee to answer these questions. They are not rhetorical, as we said earlier. Um, studying chapter 4 helped me become willing to believe that God could help me but some of my old ideas got in the way. How could I let go of these old ideas? One of the most useful tools I've been given in recovery is the spiritual inventory. This is a simple tool which can be found in the essay publication Stepping into Action. So the Stepping into Action uh, publications are written um, by uh, folks in essay and their conference approved essay materials. It's uh, the essay version of the 12 and 12 if you will. And within it, they, they offer a, a, an inventory. It's called the Second Step Inventory. And so what you do across the top of the page is on the left, you write the who. So you list the, the names of people who are God role people in your life, like your mother, your father, your pastor, or whoever. Um, and then what happened and what I learned. And then in the next column, uh, the truth I choose to believe today and then there's a notes column after that. So what it's doing is is it's allowing you to put down who the influential people were in your formative years, whoever they are, and what took place in that in that relationship. You know, 
here's a here's a time where you know I did this with a young man in Nebraska um, who had had a enormously difficult relationship with his father, and it wasn't always it wasn't good. And and that guy isn't nearly the problem in his life today that he was when he was a kid. Um, and they they are in contact with one another quite a lot now. But this this was a real problem for him as a recovering uh, addict. And so he wrote this down and then wrote what happened. And it was somewhat long because there was a lot of stuff to put down about you know oh my God he did this he did this he did this he did this. And you know that's you know for a young boy that's that's your God figure. I'm sorry, it just is, man. You got a rough way to go there. I'm, 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 my, my heart's bleeding for you, man. Um, that's hard. And what I watched him do is I watched him, I watched him write all that out. He wrote it all out, and I listened to all that. And then we went through the okay. What, what do I want to believe today about a God? Let's take this example that you've been working from all this time. And for the first time in your life, I want you to set it aside. And now what I want you to do is write down an ideal God. What would that be? And maybe even to the point of answering the counterpoint of the points that were made by your own father. And he did that. So he did a point-counterpoint. It took him a while. It was hard. And... It's still, it's still, <laughs> it's so powerful. It still wells me up to think about um, the transformation that happened for him. Because what he did was he cleaned up camp enough to actually have a fire and put up a tent. There was no room for that in his life before. There was no room for for he couldn't come up with enough room to get God in into his into his camp site. And when he did this work, he finally cleaned up enough to where he could get God in, and it changed him. Just like that. It was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. And and this guy still fights with different issues in recovery and whatnot, but he's still in the game. And, and Back when we did this inventory, he wasn't ever even going to get married. And he's married with a couple kids now. Stuff that would never you never thought would happen. You know, and, and uh, he's even got a pretty good relationship with his dad now. I think there's been some amends there and there's just been all kinds of stuff come out of this that you never thought would have happened. It wasn't ever going to happen prior to you know the work that he did. So This is a powerful inventory. What, you got some other things to offer on this one? Um, I was just going to uh, read a couple examples. We're, we're going to break here for about 15, um, 15 or 20 minutes and uh, give you a chance to, to do this writing. Um, you can do this in, in a, a spiral notebook if you uh, take uh, two opposing pages, um, just like we did with step one. Um, and on the left page, uh, in, the, in that little in the um, margin, um, you've got, got that margin there before the red line, just write who. Who's, who's the powerful person or who are the powerful people in my life that, that influenced me, that influenced my concept of, of a higher power. And then in, in the remainder of that, that page, um, what happened and what I learned. And then on the right page, the truth I choose to believe today. And you can leave some space for some notes if you want on the right, but that's not absolutely essential. Um, 
and just for a, a couple of examples, um, this is out of the Step into Action book. Um, it's laid out exactly like that. There's a, a couple examples here. Um, powerful people. Mom. What happened? Uh, she beat me and my siblings for small or imagined mistakes. I learned that God is cruel and will punish me harshly when he is angry. The truth I choose to believe today, my higher power is kind and loving. Almost always just the opposite. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> Very different. Um, Dad, wasn't always at work, didn't have time for the kids. God is too busy for me. That's what I learned. The truth I choose to believe today is that my higher power delights in me. Bill likes that one. I know. You, uh, Bill's big on it. Yeah. He wants to spend time with me. God wants to spend time with me and, 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 and um, you know, play with me. You know, just to, uh, just to be, uh, just to be a, um, a, a comrade, a partner, um, someone there who's there for me. He delights in me. So those are just a couple of examples, of, um, and, and obviously your your inventory will be different. Um, powerful people in my life were um, my my father, my mother, the church, um, and that's that's pretty much it. But you may have uh, uh, coaches, teachers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe a, a, an older sibling uh, or, or an older, older family member, um, a doctor. Doctor, yeah. Um, so you know you you will have your own powerful people. So so take uh, take let's let's take twenty minutes and do that. It's now uh, about ten to ten. We'll we'll reconvene at, at ten after ten. Um, and go through step three, but use use this time to do do a little writing, and if you have some time left over, um, go back and and take a shot at step one inventory as well. Okay. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.